Hello and welcome to I Heard It on a Podcast, our little corner of the Wild West. Get along, little doggies. Pew, pew. <laughs> Maybe that'll be my thing, is I'll add. Always say something Western. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got too many cows up in here. <laughs> how many Western things are there to say before it starts getting, like, offensive? Have we said yeehaw yet? Probably. I think we did. We'll keep coming That's up like with them. like the first Western thing you say. I like to say I howdy. can think of other ones, but I'm going to save them for future okay, intros. Okay, great. <laughs> anyway, my name is Riley. And I'm Isaiah. <laughs> welcome to I Heard It On A Podcast. Yeah, I mean, I already said that, but... I wanted welcome. to welcome him too. <laughs> Dang it. Today is Topic Thunder. Let's get ready to thunder! <laughs> <laughs> and we have three... Count them, three. Broad, varied... Um, I don't know what the word is. That fell apart. Anyway, what are our topics? They're topics. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about entertainment systems, like your at-home entertainment system, uh. how to make a good one, or at least what I want in the, like my perfect entertainment system. Like your binge machine. My binge machine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not necessarily proud of how much TV and YouTube and whatever I watch, but if I'm going to just own it, I want to It good, might as well be the best experience. Right. Yeah. Um, we're also going to... I got some weird people who collect weird things. Cool. Lots of weird, like collect a lot of the thing. So we're going to talk about <laughs> them. And then we're going to talk about geocaching and treasure yeah. hunting in general. Um, we used to do that and mm-hmm. we don't anymore, but we're nope. going to talk about it. Okay. But to circle back, okay. I feel like that's... Circle the I wagons. <laughs> to circle the wagons, which is a t- completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're Enter- both circles, though. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Entertainment systems. So just to clarify, what I mean by that is like your part of your home that's got your TV and your sound system and maybe your game console or other stuff that you use to entertain yourself. And that used to be like you had your TV and your big old stereos mm-hmm. and... They were all maybe kept in a big hutch that you kind mm-hmm. of closed in. Oh, and, yeah. And um, that was kind of it. Maybe you like had, oh, you're like VCR players and DVD players uh-huh. and whatever. boxes. Yeah, whatever yeah. else you like plug into your TV to get it to do stuff. Now it's different. So basically, uh, there's this concept of like getting streamed content to your screen. Uh huh. And at least from my understanding, there's three different ways to do it. You could either get a smart TV that can stream internet directly through the TV, mm-hmm. like the TV itself can connect to the internet. Yeah. You can also get, a, I think what they're called are streaming sticks, uh-huh. where the stick somehow gets internet. Magic. <laughs> I don't understand it, <laughs> and I'm not going to try to. But those things are like the Chromecast, uh, the I think Amazon Fire Stick, yep. and the Roku Stick. Mm-hmm. So those are just different brands that basically do the same thing, which basically make your not smart TV have access to the internet and mm-hmm. basically make it a smart TV. And then there's game consoles. So hooking up your PS4 or I guess 5. If or you your, can find one. <laughs> yeah, or your Xbox to, uh, to your TV and then accessing the internet via your game console. Mm-hmm. And then that would be what allows you to stream things like Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. Mm-hmm. So are there other ways to, to do that or are those the main things? The getaway that I've seen some people do is like 
an HDMI cord to your laptop. Well, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that counted though. Not really. It's not like a solution. It's just kind of a a way to do something. Right. But you wouldn't necessarily pay money to do that. You would pay money to do something else besides that. That's right. just kind of what you do when you don't have anything else. Yeah, like yeah. My, the TV that I have in my apartment in DC, I got like given to me, and yeah. it's literally 15 years old. It's probably the first TV that ever had an HDMI cable on wow. it or HDMI port. Yeah, but it weighs 70 pounds. Is it, it feels like, like a boxed TV or is it not flat quite? Screen? It's a flat it's, screen. It's a flat screen, but it's probably four or five inches uh-huh. wide flat screen, and if I lift it by myself. It's like 60 pounds. I feel it in my back. Uh-huh. Like it is dangerous to lift by myself. Uh-huh. But I do it anyway because I'm a, I'm living on the edge. Uh-huh. And I don't even think that that thing could have a plug for a Roku or like a fire stick or yeah. whatever anyway. But I just connect my laptop to it and watch my like... I'm like streaming 4K content onto an SD uh-huh. <laughs> TV, but you know, you take what you can get. Yeah, it was it, a free TV. It works, yeah. So can't beat that. Yeah, beggars can't be choosers. But right now, we're talking about the ideal scenario. Yes. If I were gonna like go out and spend my whatever, like spend my Christmas bonus on stimulus check. Yeah, on my ideal entertainment system. Yeah. So, do you have any uh, preferences for those three? techniques well i think there's a convenience option and then there's like a fidelity option um and what i've done like now is a convenience option and that's just a smart tv um it's pretty hard to get a not smart tv nowadays basically any tv you buy is a smart tv Mm -hmm. and sometimes you'll actually pay extra to not have it be smart because why um, this would be for things like commercial displays or um, billboards or something like that, oh. um, and you don't want to have the software running on it giving the overhead. And so this would be used a lot when you want to um, have multiple displays kind of mapped together to show one giant image on like six displays or whatever. So I don't know if you've been to Shields here, but the Shields here has like by the escalators like these huge ads that come up on like ten different TVs. Mm-hmm. And they want them all to be in sync when they change ads. So they don't want any software running on it. They just want it to be a screen, basically. And those are actually really expensive. So basically, if you want to not have a smart TV, you pay more money, which is great. That's so weird. But yeah, so we have a a TCL TV that has a Roku built into it. And it's like a great combination of it's pretty good quality. It's good enough for streaming for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's also really convenient because it's got a phone app and it's just got like a dedicated Netflix button on the remote. To just it, go straight to Netflix. Is Roku its own brand or is it owned by Google or something? As, as far as I know, it's its own brand. It might have been bought by a bigger company. But I'm, I, yeah, it is its own brand because it has its own stock. Um, so it's its own thing. And then they license it to TV manufacturers to be embedded in the TV. Okay. Um, so ours is basically like a Roku stick combined with a TV. It's just all built into one thing. Uh-huh. Um, and it works really well. There's a lot of smart TVs that I hate. Like um, if it uses Android TV, uh, it's just the worst. Or like there's a couple other like I think uh, Toshiba. Does Toshiba make TVs? It's some like super <laughs> cheap brand like that that has their own like in-house smart yeah. TV. And because it's they like, just had to. I mean yeah. the market demanded uh-huh. it. And it's so slow. Like 
you can click an icon and wait like half a second and then it'll click over to the icon. It's just like brutal. So I think if you get a good brand, a smart TV, that's a good way to go, but you can't get like a too cheap a one or one that's like no name, but that works. It's, it's, it doesn't look amazing and the processing power is not great, but for like just watching Netflix or streaming video, that's the way to go in my opinion. But if I wanted a super like high quality one and I had, you know, like Blu-ray discs that I wanted to play or like downloaded uh, high quality media, I would probably get uh, like a small PC with a Blu-ray drive in it and kind of play media off of that because then you can keep the, you know, high quality and you can send multiple channels of audio to like a surround sound system and stuff like that. Hmm. So that would be my choice if I had like my dream set up, but we'll get into that. That's interesting. So uh, you just completely surpassed the game console tier and go completely to my TV gets its own computer. (laughs) Yeah, basically, because I used to love like playing xbox and stuff and now i basically just play video games on pc and to me it's not worth it to just buy a console for a blu-ray player sure i'd rather have like pay the same price you know pay 300 400 bucks for pc that can also like have audio management have more like control over how the media is played instead of just playing it Mm -hmm. um but i do think like if you do want to play video games too a game console is a great choice if you want to play on a console. Um, so He says with disgust. Yeah, I'm master <laughs> race over here, but whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I think that I would probably, well, I don't really play video games. I might if someone just like gifted me a game console. There's no way that I would ever buy a PC. I've tried to convince you for a long time to buy an Xbox. Yeah, that's been like five years in the making uh-huh. at least. Uh huh. Maybe I think I could probably convince you to buy a Switch, which you could mm-hmm. theoretically use to feed an entertainment system, but it's going to be like YouTube and that's all you get. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which maybe that's all I need. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I think I could be convinced to get a game console as like my command center. Or just you. I mean, you're right. You should just probably get any old TV that was made yeah. in the last four years, mm-hmm. and it is. It will be a smart TV. Yeah. And just don't cheap out on it. So, I mean, probably a lot of people a TV. They spend more time in watching TV than they do driving and eating combined. Yeah. Which they don't skimp out on those things. You know, you don't like buy a car that is not safe so why would you buy a tv that is crappy yeah totally (laughs) you spend way more time watching tv than you do in your car yeah i definitely know people who have nicer tvs than cars so yeah which (laughs) maybe makes sense i don't know if i technically endorse that but uh, speaking of the tv i feel like i remember there were so many gimmicks with tvs there was like the curved thing and the Mm -hmm. 3d thing Mm -hmm. and and I saw an ad, on, maybe it wasn't an ad, this thing on Reddit for a transparent, it's like holographic oh, I've TV. Seen that. Have yeah. you seen that? Uh-huh. I think it was in Japan or something. Uh-huh. Of course. Do those things still exist, like the curved TV and the 3D TV? Um, 
Yes, they do. They're still kind of pretty gimmicky. Uh-huh. Um, curved like computer monitors are a big thing, but that makes sense because you're close enough to them that it kind of wraps around a little bit and gives you that peripheral. Yeah. Whereas a curved TV, if you wanted to get the most out of it, you would have to like be sitting like 12 inches away from it. Yeah. And no one's going to do that. And then 3D TVs, yes, but you have to have 3D media and you always have to wear the glasses and it gives some people headaches. So they're definitely very niche gimmicky things. And most people who are really into like home entertainment systems would say just get, you know, a big, nice brand TV or a projector and don't worry about making it curved or whatever. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about projectors too. Okay. Because I wanted to talk about size. Yes. So The most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like if all you cared about was size, you would just like, you know, build a two-story room and demolish the, like... Right. Like just create the widest wall you could possibly create and then get an enormous projector. But that doesn't seem like it would really be the optimal experience. Right. You know? So at some point, it's too big, right? And there's actually a scientific formula behind how big is too big. Um, (laughs) For TVs. Yeah, for TVs or projectors. (laughs) Okay. Um, Basically, they want it to, if if it's like a mixed usage thing, so if you're playing video games, watching movies, watching TV, they say it should fill up 30 degrees of your field of view. So 30 degrees in front of you. And if you're watching like purely like cinematic widescreen type stuff, they want it to fill up 40 degrees of your field of view. So um, there's like a chart here that has anywhere from 32 inches up to 85 inches. And most projectors can go way bigger than that. So this Mm -hmm. is more for TVs. Um, But generally they say um, if you're like eight feet away, which is kind of typically where most people sit, eight to 10 feet, um, you'd want a TV that's 55 to 60 inches is kind of the ideal size. Um, If you say you got a TV that was 86 or 87, that's about the biggest TV they make nowadays, Mm -hmm. um, you could sit up to 12 feet away and have it still be fine. And then if you're sitting farther, you'd want to go to a projector. But that's pretty big. You know, I mean, this whole room we're in right now is probably... 12 feet so it'd be like if i was sitting there and it was way over there that's kind of the size i would want and that might even still be pretty big yeah we were talking like a couple of weeks ago about a what an 80 or 100 Uh inch tv yeah and that kind of blew my mind it's bigger than this table that we're yeah like both comfortably sitting at and that just doesn't seem practical right and like how are you going to mount that on your wall it'd probably rip out your framing yeah Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely some people just love like their whole field of view being filled by a TV. It's just kind of, it's too much. Yeah, it is. I would agree because you miss so much. And it's kind of like sitting in the front row at a movie theater and it's like gloriously large, but you're also hurting your neck and you miss stuff that happens on the sides of the screen and it's just not great. Um, It's good like once a year for the dumb movie you really don't mind missing parts of. Uh Uh-huh. But... In your own home? Yeah. No, not worth it. So I've seen, like, typically, if you want an average-sized TV that, like, feels normal for most viewing distances, kind of the 55 to 65-inch region is kind of where you'd want to end up. 
I've seen most people who do projectors for like a home theater setup kind of end up in the 110 to 120 inch range. Um, but that's typically for movies, which are shot in a really wide format. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily filling up the whole screen. It's just filling up a wide portion of the middle of the screen. And right. so that makes a little bit more sense to me. But yeah, I, I've I've definitely like seen projectors that big and it's nice when you're playing Mario Kart too. Mm-hmm. So much Mario, <laughs> life-size Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, are 4K TVs the only real standard? Um, nowadays, most TVs that you buy will be 4K. There are some cheaper ones like like store brand TVs that might be 1080 and you can actually even still get 720 TVs um, in their really small like 20 to 30 inch kind of store brand TVs. Mm. But 4K is kind of where you're going to end up if you buy a TV nowadays. Um, Mm -hmm. Most projectors are still 1080. Some of them go into 4K, but it's a lot more expensive. Um, And we're kind of at the point now where for most TVs, that's kind of the highest resolution you need. Um, Some TV manufacturers are releasing 8K displays now, which is just insane. Can your eyes process that? It depends on how close you're sitting. Um, Because... If you sit close enough, you start to be able to make out some individual pixels. But with 4K, you have to be sitting. Okay, so say you had a 50-inch 4K TV. If you were sitting farther than two and a half feet away from it, you wouldn't be able to see the pixels. So the only the only reason to get a higher resolution display is if you wanted to sit closer than two feet to your 50-inch TV and then it would be worth it to go up to 8, 8K. Which, um, like, that doesn't sound safe. No, that seems that. like it would be hot and bright and not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you get up into a bigger size screen, so say you had a 100-inch screen and you were, wanted to sit closer than 6 feet to it, then you would want to go to 8K. But You would literally have to turn your head to see the whole screen you at would. that point. Yeah, so we've kind of reached the, the peak, especially because most people are streaming stuff from Netflix or YouTube or whatever. And... The issue you're going to run into there is um, bitrate and not yeah. resolution. And you can tell like when it's a bad bitrate. Like some people don't know what bitrate means. They just know about you know resolution. Um, but bitrate is actually probably more important than resolution. And you can kind of tell like Netflix has been really bad about this recently because they kind of lowered the bitrate they're allowing people to stream at for 1080 and 4K. And a lot of times, do you remember the like, sewer levels from super mario bros like super grainy and Mm -hmm. like gray and black so in dark scenes on netflix a lot of times they'll look like a sewer mario level because (laughs) the bitrate is so bad and basically it just means they can't like push as much information to your display and so they clump groups of pixels together and they cut some colors out and so you end up getting these like really gross like banding areas in black and like kind of looks a little bit fuzzy and it's not necessarily like out of focus like a lower resolution would be but it's just like gross looking kind of yeah. modeled that's a lower bitrate issue and so once you get into 4k you're really kind of going to be limited by the source you're getting your media from and not so much the display right which i guess then there's the uh there's the like argument that's the word the yeah. argument for discs yeah for blu-rays uh-huh. and things like that is blu-ray still a thing blu-ray is, is still a thing still yeah the thing most yeah most people who are really like 
cinemaphiles and want to have this at their house would buy Blu-rays because the bit rate for a Blu-ray is typically, you know, 10 times higher than the bit rate from Netflix. Wow. And it's understandable. Like, Netflix can't afford to have that much, you know, data capacity. And they're streaming to millions of yeah. people. And honestly, most of us, like, most places in the U.S. have data caps of, you know, a terabyte a month or whatever. Right. And if you were to watch what's called a remux, which is just, like, the original uncompressed movie that, like, the theaters would get, those are typically, you know, two or 300 gigs. And so mm. to watch one movie, you'd eat up half of your data bandwidth for the month. Yeah. So it's not practical to have, like, the highest quality possible streamed. So if you are a type of person who, like, likes that, then you'll be going towards buying, you know, high-quality AV equipment and Blu-rays. And That's kind of funny, actually, that people who are really into it and uh-huh. are willing to buy a $3,000 TV yeah. are still tied to physical yeah. objects. Yeah, but you have to be. Like, it's not something... And what some people will do is buy the Blu-ray and rip it to their you know, PC that they have hooked up to their TV and then they've still got it digitally and they can, you know, just stream it to their TV from their PC and not have to switch discs or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they still, at the end of the day, if they're not pirating the media, they still have to buy like the high quality copy and rip it off or whatever. So, Hmm. Okay. Sound. Okay. Real quick though. Is the, is the standard still like a sub or two subs? And uh, several smaller speakers, powered speakers, surrounding you. In yeah, your I would area. say that's kind of the highest quality option. Is like a yeah. surround sound system. Most people nowadays are just soundbar. doing sound bars. Yeah, I don't really like sound bars. I think it's a Me waste neither. of money, um, especially because most TVs now you can hook headphones up through your phone and just listen with like surround sound headphones on, and you usually already have like AirPods or whatever, so you're pretty much set. And I would say that's a better option than a soundbar. Um, but yeah, the standard would be, you know, like a subwoofer or two and five or seven surround sound speakers to give you that nice, you know, surround soundy feel. And now they've got the Dolby Atmos, which has like height speakers. So they typically would be mounted in like a theater in the ceiling. And so that gives you like a perception of how high a sound is. So that's how they get those cool like helicopter flying over and it sounds like Mm. it's actually up there sound effects. So some people are doing that in their houses, you know, and they've got 11 speakers or nine speakers to give kind of a height. And it gets, this is a whole thing. Obviously, there's a subreddit with hundreds of thousands of people and spending, you know, thousands of dollars on this gear. But you can get like basically an actual movie theater in your house for eight people. And they're really cool. They have like, you can put posters up, you know, and they just like look pretty legit. You could put posters up. Yeah, wow. who would have thought? It's the coolest That's thing of all. Probably the, the most wild part of uh-huh. this whole thing. All Boom. right. Well, if you're into that, start saving now, and maybe you can get one of those in seven years. Um. In the meantime, I'm gonna tell you about some weird collections. Yes. I'm excited. Okay, so I've got a lot of these. And um, we're just going to go through them and talk about if you, too, want to collect these things. Okay. First one, airplane sick bags. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this dude, his name is Nick. He holds the record. He's got more than 600 sick bags from over 200 different countries. Hopefully unused. Well, I I can't. It doesn't say. (laughs) But he's been collecting them for over 30 years. Wow. That's pretty wild. 
So yay or nay, are you going to get into this? No. Okay. It's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those things where he had to have just decided on a plane one day, this is cool, I'm going to keep it. And then he just did that. Yeah. The, for, I think the craziest part is that it's from over 200 different countries. He must be like having other people send them to him or something. Or he travels a lot for work. Or yeah. I don't know. That's a lot. It's kind of rare though. Like I think most big airplanes don't have sick bags. I think that's only on smaller airplanes typically, right? Southwest has them. They're only in like every third seat though. Okay. Because I know on my, like on the flights I've done to Sydney in the uh, big, the Dreamliner airplanes, the like 444 seating Uh ones, they don't have sick bags in them. Are you just supposed to hold it? Well, most people don't get sick because it's so big. It doesn't like have that much. It's not affected by turbulence as much. What if you just are sick? What if you just like ate some bad clams? I mean, there's still a bathroom. They're just assuming that like there's not going to be enough people sick at once. So so. there's no turbulence really? There is, but there... It's interesting because it's more of like an up and down turbulence as opposed to like um, an axial turbulence like you get in smaller planes. So the reason that like a lot of the smaller like two by two or the two by one planes have sick bags in everyone is because of the way they're they're balanced and they're loaded is you'll get a lot more like kind of a sloshing motion with turbulence, which is what gets people kind of motion sick as Uh opposed to just the going up and down bumpy because that doesn't mess with your inner ear as much. And so bigger planes are like you're less likely to get motion sick on bigger planes. Also, there's the fact that you're less like claustrophobic, I guess. And so there's less of the psychological like I'm stuck in this tube nausea kind of feeling. So, yeah, but yeah, I'm going to say sense. no to that one. That one's a pass for me. <laughs> okay. How about this one? Banana label stickers. Like the stickers on bananas. No. Um, this woman named Becky has... 19,631 different labels in her collection. She even has a website. (laughs) Okay. You look up Becky's website. Her name is is, called Becky's website. (laughs) It's called, her name is Becky Martz. Look up, I don't know, uh, banana label sticker collection or something. Here it is. Okay. Tell me about it. Okay. Oh, gosh. It's so green. <laughs> I got blinded when I opened this. It's it like green screen. Like yeah. Green screen. Her email on here is an AOL email if that helps you. Um, <laughs> it's like my eyes are seeing lines that aren't there. Apparently, she also collects broccoli bands. Like Maybe we'll get bands. to that. Maybe. Um, so there, she's got a list on our website of banana labels arranged by company name in alphabetical order. Um, so we're just gonna go with okay. N. Name name all the banana brands you can name of. Name ready, Chiquita. Your turn. That was my only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay, that was the point. <laughs> Let's go look at Chiquita. Okay. Uh, Chia. There's a lot of banana brands. Wow, that, that can't be true. I mean, maybe outside of America, but I listened to a podcast once about how like Chiquita took over the bananas in the world, and it somehow had something to do with like uh the politics in central and south america huh. I, I need to re-listen to that podcast wow here's just the chiquita asian stickers there's like a lot of them oh this is so meticulous it is Becky so well organized time on her hands if the image is too small click on it uh, it's smaller <laughs> and it's smaller <laughs> get a in. web designer becky <laughs> No, it's just fuzzy. <laughs> well, 
If I had an hour, I would probably go through this website, but okay. we don't. The next one, mobile phones. Seems logical. This yeah. guy named Karsten uh, from Germany has 1,500 different mobile phones. The oldest is from 33 years ago. Wow. That's, that's one of those says. like brick with the antenna ones, right? Yeah. Like the big brick with the antenna I ones. I bet he's making a lot of money running all those apps that make him a 10 cents a day. Probably. 1,500? Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. Uh, I collected like five mobile phones. <laughs> yeah. They were all the same. <laughs> Not quite breaking any records. Okay, next one is back scratchers. Oh, um, Dr. Manfred Rothstein holds the record. Uh, 675 from 71 different countries. I don't, uh, from 71 different countries, how can they be any different? They're all just like a, a stick. Yeah. All right. We're Once, I have on. a funny story about that. Oh, I, uh, we're not moving on. It was like, I think I was like 12. I don't know if I've ever told anyone the story. I was ashamed. Um, <laughs> and I don't remember where we were, but we were in a gas station. I, th- I feel like we were in like uh, Nebraska or Wyoming or something like that. Okay. And they had like the plastic like hand back scratcher things um, that are like three feet long and they're neon colored and they've got just like a hand and you scratch your back with them. Yeah. And so I was like 12 and I obviously was going to play with one. So I like picked it up off the shelf and like put it on my, I didn't like put it on my shirt or anything. I just put it like on my shirt in the back. And as soon as I like put any pressure at all on the back scratcher, the hand like snapped off. And so then I was here like panicking, like holding this broken back scratcher. And so I just like kicked the hand under the shelf and hung it back up and ran away. Wow. So I'm ashamed of that. I broke like a $2 back scratcher at a gas station in Wyoming. Well, you got it off your chest. Yeah. I'm sorry, gas station attendant, that I broke your back scratcher. <laughs> so anyway. That's it. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Water bottle labels. Um, this is just kind of sad. Okay. I, by the way, I forgot to ask you. Have Have we gotten to any ones yet that you want to get into? No. Okay. What about water bottle labels? You'll have to collect over eight thousand six hundred fifty in order to beat Lorenzo Pessini. Think about how many sea creatures he's killed, or or not killed. I mean. Someone who doesn't care about recycling at all by the end of their lifetime probably will have used 8,600 water bottles. Yes. But he could so have think collected, about that he could have collected the bottle with the label and saved them from going somewhere. You know? Well, maybe he just recycles them and keeps the label. To, you know what's sad, show. though? I've seen most recycling things. I've seen people like pick up the recycling bin, like from the trash company. Like they come with the trash truck and they just pour the recycling bin into the same truck as the trash. And I was like, this is why we're doomed. We could definitely have a discussion about the merits or lack thereof of recycling and whether it's legit or not. But I'll need to do a little more research before we have that conversation. There's like a whole cartel behind it. We'll get (laughs) into it someday. (laughs) I'm putting that on the list real quick. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But but real quick, also in Italy... The Guinness World Record, I saw this one on several lists. So this guy's a, a real rock star. Davide Andriani. Oh. Andriani uh, has more than 10,500 Coca-Cola cans. He's been collecting them for more than 35 years. And some of them are t- said to be valued at over $500 each. Really? So this is like an actually valuable collection. I like like... Coke memorabilia. It's one of those things where it's kind of transcended its product and it's kind of a like a cultural icon, I think. Um 
because you can see people with, you know, Coke shirts or like Coke mini fridges, just Coke brand is kind of a cool brand. Yeah. And so I would collect like retro Coke stuff. Yeah. I, I wouldn't collect it. And how much stuff he has. Yeah. I wouldn't go to that extent because that's like a full room dedicated to Coke cans. Yes. It's shelves, floor to ceiling, like 20 feet high ceilings of just Coke, Coke stuff. Coke cans, yeah. But it is interesting how many different colors. It's not just red and silver. Yeah. Look up a picture of Davide Andriani. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next one, water pistols. Ooh. <laughs> uh, he only has 340. Honestly, that's not that impressive. You they're can get like, that at Dollar Tree. <laughs> yeah, they're like the plastic water oh. pistols. They're like... I could probably collect that many by this time next week if I really tried. I had a cool water pistol when I was younger that <laughs> this was such a dumb idea. I don't know how they were allowed to sell this illegally. It was a super soaker branded one and it had like magazines that you would fill up with water. Like it was an actual like gun. <laughs> so you'd fill the magazine with water and then like slot it into the gun. Um, but it was, young. it had an electric like motor pump in it so electricity and water yeah so you'd like hold the trigger down and it would just run the pump so you wouldn't have to like do the manually pumping Uh thing you would just constantly like fire it out but obviously you're gonna like take it in the pool and i was like whose bright idea was it to give this kid six double a batteries and dunk it in the pool with all their friends like it seems like it's gonna go wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think i've seen that on the shelves recently yeah it broke really fast probably because batteries aren't supposed to get wet Ah, super soaker. You should have asked us for product design thoughts. Yeah, we'd tell you to not put electricity and water together. Okay, this one's crazy. Do not disturb signs. This Mm. person named Jean-Francois Vernetti. (laughs) Sorry, It doesn't probably matter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Owns more than 11,000 do not disturb signs. Wow, that's a lot. 189 countries. He must really not want to be disturbed. <laughs> or, or he just really likes to travel. But it is kind of interesting, this picture. Everything, I mean, yeah, it just says do not disturb all over. And huh. his the shirt he's wearing just says do not disturb too. Like, really leave this guy alone. <laughs> Don't mess with Jean Do not mess Claude. with Jean-Francois Jean Vernetti. Fran- okay. Okay. <laughs> what about that one? You you want to, I think that would be fun. Because it's, that would be, it's incentivized by traveling. You're like this one I got at that hotel yeah. in in Frankfurt, and this one I got in in Santa Fe, and whatever you could tell, you could have a story. Yeah. You could write a little note on the back of each one, like this one was in San Bernardino yeah. in May of 2021. I think I'm a little too basic for that. I'd rather just collect the Starbucks mugs from okay, each city. That's yeah. fine as long as you like write in Sharpie, like from you know January 2020 yeah. or whatever. I only collect the Starbucks mugs from places that I've lived or at least spent three months okay. in. So Fair. because I already have a problem where I own too many mugs. Yeah. So if I just like got a mug from every place I've ever been to, uh-huh. uh, I would have way too many. Nice. We actually found a little loophole when we lived in Sydney because you could buy the Sydney mug for like forty Australian dollars, but they'd give you a free drink with it and also like a mug refill. Hmm. And sometimes they would mess up how they like scanned it in. And so we'd go to Starbucks and we'd buy a mug and we'd get like four free drinks and a mug. And so when you're paying 40 bucks for four drinks and a mug, it's not that bad. 
So it's Australian money too. Yeah. It's like so fake it's money. Not even close to worth as much as the dollar. Yeah. It was like six dollars <laughs> per drink plus a free mug. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it was a nice thing. So now we've got some Sydney mugs, which are great. Multiple. Well, we had a bunch, but then we gave them away to people when we got back. So mm-hmm. we have one. Okay. I'm like super scared every time I drink out of it because I'm like, if I break this You'll and I want another back. one, I'm gonna have to go back to Sydney and that's kind of a long ways away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. A couple more. Chewing gum. There's, oh wow, this person's 96. Sarah is 96 and has been collecting it since 1948. She has more than 1,400 different types of chewing gum. What about that one? I think this would be a good one for you. Um, It's small and it doesn't take up much room. So, You know what else is small and doesn't take up much room? Where is this going? (laughs) Belly button fluff. Gross. Is that an option? <laughs> That's the next one. Uh, the Australian Graham Barker collects his own belly button fluff. Oh, the smell and he's would be been just... doing it for twenty years. Oh, he also has a website with photos. <laughs> Look uh, okay. it up. What's his name? Graham, Graham Barker. This doesn't say how much he uh, has collected because how do you measure belly button fluff? Is it in weight? Probably by like Is cubic centimeters. But is it like when you pull it out and it's still fluffy and fresh, or do you have to compress it to a certain like density? True, you, you can know? do it by weight. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. His website is called FearGod.net. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. His uh, tagline is "The world of an inquisitive collector, photographer, writer, and God-fearing weather geek." You've got to send me the link. So. Uh, the website that we're on now is feargod.net forward slash fluff.html. And, oh gosh, he also collects bakery bags and beard clippings, like beard hair. His own or like, uh, does he go to the barbershop? I don't know. Can I see? Yeah, let I'm me show really you this. Curious. I'm going to read some of this website. Please. Um, some people gaze into their oh, navel for inspiration. The topic, the title of this article is The Incredible World of Navel Fluff. It's just great. Okay. <laughs> some people gaze into their navel for inspiration. I'm going to get real close so it's radio-like. Yeah. I look into mine and see navel fluff. Also known as navel lint, it is that fascinating fluffy substance that forms mysteriously in the belly buttons of special people. Weird, but okay. Um, he says he's been collecting his navel fluff since 1984, and when people learn about this, they ask him why, and he answers, why not? Good point. Y- yeah, okay. Good point. Um, he says there's a lot of reasons. It's unique. It's a unique collection. It's rare because the navel fluff of Graham Barker is produced in only limited quantities by only one person. <laughs> That's true. He definitely has the most. These are logical arguments. They look um, like smelling salts. They, like, did he wear a green shirt for 10 years? It looks like it. So he's got a jar here from 1984 to 1993, another one from 94 to 2000, 2001 until present, it looks like. And it looks like he mostly wore like green and brown in the 80s and 90s, which makes sense. And then from 94 to 2000, mostly red. And then 2001 till now, mostly blue. But fun fact, I actually found out because I was reading about belly button lint one day, (laughs) as you do. um, The color of your belly button lint is more dependent on what underwear you're wearing and not the shirt you're wearing because typically it like works its way up like your belly hairs and goes in from below and not from around. Really? And so the color 
like doesn't matter what shirt you're wearing it's the color of underwear which is why like most of it was like blue because he probably just has like a pack of you know blue boxes or whatever switched yeah in those years so there you go wow fun, fun fact for y'all <laughs> i learned so much about graham barker's underwear <laughs> <laughs> for 30 years <laughs> <laughs> wow that was a treasure trove this is why we do this podcast yeah. for moments like this. This is why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh gosh. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go through just a few more. Okay. Because I believe that there's some more golden nuggets, nuggets? out there. Nuggets. Okay, great. Okay, the world record for the most toenail clippings. Do you have a guess of how oh, many that might be? Gosh, like how many toenail, like individual toenail samples? Oh. <laughs> Thirty thousand. <laughs> you looked at it. Mm. It's thirty thousand. Wow! Like yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I don't. I don't know if exactly. That's the number on this article. Because that's like ten toes. Once yep, every week, for. God. It's actually. It was collected from a lot of people for medical purposes. Oh gosh, so that's it's worse. like I don't know. It's like some group of scientists doing something for something. So they have a lot of people's different medical. <laughs> Or a lot of people's different toenail clippings. It's like a good excuse for anything. Like, why do you have 30,000 toenail clippings? I'm a scientist doing something for something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a scientist and I do things for things. Okay. How about chicken-related items? I You have to guess two things here. Is this like chicken-related as in like food chicken or like living chickens? Uh, They're the same thing. It's but. like... It's like pottery or oh, like, okay, yeah, uh, knickknacks like chicken memorabilia. Yeah, chicken okay. memorabilia. Um, how many items and where in the world do you think this couple lives? I'm gonna say 860 items. Okay, and I'm gonna say that they live in Canada. Okay, um, they have six thousand five hundred. Wow, items. <laughs> <laughs> and they live. In Elkhart County, Indiana, which I've actually been sense. to Elkhart County, Indiana, <laughs> and it checks out. This is like maybe 70 miles from where I went to school. Nice. And I went here for a thing. It's it's a long story. It's not <laughs> it's not an interesting one either, so I'm not gonna tell it. Um but the picture of this probably 80-year-old couple surrounded by their chicken memorabilia just screams mm. central Indiana. That's, yep. Welcome and, to the Midwest. And I love it. <laughs> I want to be friends with them. <laughs> oh, man. That's incredible. Okay. That's just so many chickens. Yeah, here's a good one. Celebrity hair locks. So like a lock of hair from Elvis or Albert Einstein. How do you verify this? Do you like do DNA tests on it? I mean, don't you have to have an, another sample of DNA to verify against? Yes. So I don't know if it is verified. Because could I just sell my hair and be like, hey, this is Orlando Bloom's hair? Well, nowadays it's grand. probably difficult. This actually doesn't have a number of... It just says that this guy named John has the most expansive collection. It doesn't say how many. But hmm. his collection includes Edgar Allan Poe, Albert Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, Marilyn Monroe, Beethoven, and Elvis. Hmm. I feel like he got ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, you have some of Albert Einstein's hair. 
Who would have saved that back then? I don't know. I thought his head was like in a jar somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. That would mean theoretically you could have your job be trying to secretly cut hair off celebrities and sell it on eBay. That could I, be a career. I think it is. Wow. Okay, last one. McDonald's memorabilia. Guess. Mm, I would collect these. Yeah. This is my first guess. Okay. <laughs> that's that's good. That's where we're ending. So guess. Okay, so if you're going to start here and you want to collect McDonald's memorabilia, it can be like the those huge statues of Ronald McDonald yep. that they used to have or just like a cup from right. a souvenir line of promotional whatever that they're doing. Uh-huh. How many pieces do you think you'll need in order to beat the current world record of McDonald's memorabilia? 15,000? More. More. 30,000? More. 60,000? More. 200,000? <laughs> okay, not that many. The current record is 75,000. Wow, that is a lot of pieces. <laughs> yeah. But this so you has to include stuff like ketchup packets and like little like straws and stuff like that too, right? Um, I don't know. It says it occupies over 7,000 square feet of this guy's home in Pennsylvania and includes 1,000 cups, uniforms, 11,000 lapel pins, old displays, and nearly every Happy Meal toy that's ever been produced. Wait, 7,000 feet? So his home space dedicated to just McDonald's stuff is like six times bigger than my house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's probably living in like rural Pennsylvania yeah. where land is priced differently than where we currently right. are. Yeah, but so you can dedicate three houses to McDonald's stuff. Yeah, uh, the ma- I'm guessing the majority of his house is dedicated to the preservation and like show of his McDonald's collection. Look, there's a picture of him wow. standing next to a full-size Ronald McDonald yeah. statue. And in a corner with all the toys. Yeah. The real question is, does he have fries from 30 years ago, and mm. has he eaten them for science? Because I'm pretty sure they'd be the same. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've, we've all seen that yeah. on, maybe I just I've seen that on YouTube because I have a YouTube problem. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen people eating 30-year-old fries? Uh, yeah, Rhett and Link did it like oh, a couple of weeks ago. Nice. <laughs> I have. I saw the one where they did the is stuff getting smaller. That was a good episode. Yeah. You should go check out Good Mythical Morning. <laughs> Bradley and I are both big fans of Good Mythical Morning. Yeah. And a lot of our talks are inspired by that show. So yep. if you want more of stuff like us. That's much higher quality. <laughs> yes. But we're getting there. That was one of our goals for this year. Yeah. By the end of the year, we're going to be higher quality than Good Mythical Morning. No, that's not going to uh, happen. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, man. So, we used to geocache. We did. And for the good people out there who don't know what geocaching is, basically there was this like internet connected world. Yep. That was a terrible way to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, so there was this website or app or whatever yep. where people would go out and put little treasures out in the regular world. Yep. And then other people could go out and get the coordinates of where those treasures are and try to find them based on the coordinates. Mm-hmm. And so in the olden days, before smartphones or before people really had a lot of smartphones and things like that, you would just go online and print out the coordinates and then use our compass or GPS or whatever yeah. and try to find exactly where this geocache was mm-hmm. and try to find the thing. Sometimes the thing was like literally a piece of paper rolled up and tucked underneath a post. Right. And sometimes it was a 
like a a plastic bag underneath a rock. Yeah. And it had a like a a Happy Meal toy inside of it. Yeah. And it was like, hey, you found this thing. Exchange this toy for some other toy. And it was just like, you know, take a penny, leave yeah. a penny kind of thing. Just but for the, the experience. Right. The joy yeah. of it was treasure hunting and yeah. finding the thing and being out in nature and feeling like a uh, like a treasure hunter Yeah, in your world. Like we did this at the park near your house uh-huh. a lot of the uh-huh. time. There are some crazy ones out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, but those are pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Um, But from what I've heard, we haven't done this in years, but from what I've heard, modern geocaching is like using an app that coordinates with the GPS on your phone. So basically you see where the geocache is and you see where you are on your phone and you basically just like follow directions and walk to it, which doesn't sound like fun at all. Yeah, it sounds not great. Yeah, so my question to you is, how do we re- reinstate or recreate the joy of geocaching with hmm. modern technology in our current world? Yeah, I think one of the better ways to do it. So, a lot of the like more remote geocaches um, that you would find in the mountains or in wilderness areas, a lot of times are multi-step, and so. Typically, you're not going to have cell service. You wouldn't be able to use the apps. You'd take your GPS and you'd get the coordinates to the first one. And you go to the first one and then inside that first one, it's got the coordinates to the second one. And then at this point, you're out of cell service. You're only using your GPS. And then you have to find the second one and it gives you coordinates. And it's kind of like a multi-step treasure hunt mm-hmm. until you get to the 10th one or whatever. And that's the final one. And that's where you can sign your name and like say, hey, I got here. Um, so that's probably the only way to like avoid smartphoning geocache because even if you do not use a smartphone there's still going to be people using smartphones that kind of ruin the enjoyment of it so i would say that's one way but the more fun way especially now as an adult would be to hunt for real treasure (laughs) and uh there have actually been several different choices of treasure to hunt for um mostly from you know eccentric billionaires or millionaires just deciding to bury some of their money somewhere and give people clues. Yeah. And for me, like geocaching is definitely a form of treasure hunting, but it's kind of a basic one where you just know exactly where it is and you have to find it. Mm-hmm. But then there's like the in-depth treasure hunting where they give you like riddles and clues and poems and you have to figure something out first. And that's awesome. I love that. Like even though I don't think cool. I'll ever find a treasure it's still fun to kind of speculate with people. Like there was an example of kind of like a digital one that happened on Reddit back in 2017 when Bitcoin was huge and like everyone was into Bitcoin. Um, And they basically like this Reddit user posted just a picture with a bunch of like, it was like a Bitcoin logo made it like a word cloud Bitcoin logo. And he said like, hey, some of these like words make up the password you need to get into this bitcoin wallet that has you know a million dollars worth of bitcoin in it and you could see it because that was one of the things with bitcoin you could see how much money was in a wallet Mm -hmm. and so this wallet actually did have a million dollars worth of bitcoin and he basically just put this logo on reddit and was like 14 of these words make up the password figure it out and last i know like no one's figured it out in three years and the money's still in that wallet 
Um, probably worth a lot more than it was probably, three years ago. Well, it's, it's probably about the same because that was at like the peak of Bitcoin and oh. Bitcoin's back up in price to about where it was back in 2017. Mm. Um, so it's probably worth, you know, $900,000 or something like that. But it's kind of like... I'll take it. It's like just like a fun like puzzle, you know, like everyone on that subreddit like banded together and was like trying things out and was collaborating. Was it like a treasure and, hunting or a Bitcoin? It, well, it wasn't like physically. It was just like a puzzle that you had to figure out. I meant out. the subreddit. Oh, it was a Bitcoin, yeah, Bitcoin subreddit. But to me, like, that's kind of the fun of treasure hunting is like collaborating with people and like yeah, that's thinking awesome. of new ways to get at things and like problem solving interesting things. And um, so I think that's kind of where the joy of it comes from. So I would say we should become treasure hunters. And there's three treasures here that are, well, two of them are available. One of them has been found now. There was one that was found this summer that has been out for like, or undiscovered. The Fen for, Treasure, right? Yeah, that was the one yeah. that was somewhere in the Rockies. Uh-huh. And they found it in Utah? Or uh, something like that this summer? It was big news at the time. I'll it, read, there's a Today article about okay. it. Um, yeah, so this this guy, um, Forrest Fen, um said in 2010 that he buried a uh, chest full of more than a million dollars somewhere in the Rocky Mountains and he wrote a poem with clues about it yeah. and no one found it until June of this year yes. or of last year 2020 um, and this was like a big thing like people would go and like yeah camp I remember out. people talking about it uh-huh. all growing up because mm-hmm. it was like this is the treasure of the Rockies it yeah. could be literally like not literally but basically like in right our backyard here. yeah like a day trip from where we live. Right. Yeah, because I'd read about this and I was like, oh man. And I'd like this is my read destiny. the poem and I'd start reading about it and I'd have no idea <laughs> right. and I'd give up. It's kind of vague. I mean, it just talks about like water dripping somewhere and going, I think water going backwards or yeah. up a hill or something like that. Yeah. So um, they revealed that it had been found. They didn't say who it was because he didn't want his name published. Right. But they said it was valued at more than $2 million when it was found, including gold coins, diamonds, emeralds, and other gems. <laughs> so it's like a legit, legit treasure. treasure. Yeah, oh, it's that's not, so yeah, cool. It's amazing. Can you imagine the moment opening it up and like literally seeing diamonds and like gold gleaming in a treasure chest? <laughs> that's amazing. The coolest moment. <laughs> um, let's see. What else do we have here? He said the chest was under a canopy of stars and the lush forested vegetation of the Rocky Mountains hadn't moved until someone found it. It doesn't say where they found it. I thought it was in Utah or New Mexico or something like that. Let's keep looking here. Um, but ba, ba, ba. I, I mean, we can, we can go all yeah. on and on about this treasure that already has been found. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the treasure that we're going to find. Okay. So there's two other ones here. Um, these ones are older, and they might not be as close to us as the Rocky one. Um, wow. There's one called La Chouette d'Or, which means the golden owl. And it says, in April 1993, a Frenchman going by the name Max Valentin claimed to have buried La Chouette d'Or, the golden owl, in a secret location. The owl statue could only be found with the help of 11 clues that Valentin and a sculpture named Michael Becker released at that time. Um, <laughs> apparently, a lot of people tried to find this, and one person actually blew up a chapel thinking that the owl might be hidden below it. <laughs> Don't blow up chapels for treasure. Um, 
but like no one's actually code. ever found it. This guy claimed that apparently one person came really close. Um, they dug up the ground near where it was hidden, but he said no one has still found it. And then he died in 2009, Ooh. and no one has still found the treasure. So that's an option. Um, I don't know like where or whatever. It sounds like it might be in France, so we're probably out of luck on that one. Um, Unless we like really t- start taking this seriously. Yeah. There's also another one called uh, Cicada 3301. That's a cool name. Um, yeah, it is. This says, a shadowy organization releases three mysterious code-filled scavenger hunts on the internet to recruit highly intelligent individuals. Um, uh, scary. Yeah. Cicada 3301 published its first test on January 5th, 2012, and then two more on January 5th in 2013 and 2014. Um, it was accompanied by a cicada image and a, uh, introduction. It involved images, cryptography, number theory, physical clues, phone calls, QR codes, and websites on the dark net. Um, it says the purpose and outcome of cicadas three hunts remain unknown to this day, but the puzzles have captured the imagination of many, including, uh, the people who made person of interest, which is kind of what inspired that show, I guess. So Never heard of it. Me neither. That's okay. Maybe someone has. Um, but those definitely aren't nearly as cool as the Fen treasure. Yeah, which being I did honest. look up and it was found in New Mexico. It was found in New Mexico. Okay, cool. So not in our backyards, like in our not cellar quite. kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we should we should become treasure hunters. I think we could do some research and find a treasure that's on this continent. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Okay. I'm sure some eccentric Canadian is buried treasure somewhere. Man. But Canada won't even let us in for not, any reason. They won't right let now. us come in and just steal their treasure. No. But we could probably sneak into Canada. Shh. Man, my dream is to illegally immigrate to out. Canada and hunt for treasure. <laughs> <laughs> this is my dream. <laughs> that is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Like, yeah, I snuck in here and I'm like filling out the immigration forms. Like, what is your occupation? Treasure hunter. (laughs) Reason for visit? Treasure hunting. (laughs) How long is your stay? Until I find the treasure. Indefinite. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, they always ask, like, on immigration things, like, how do you plan on supporting yourself? And I feel like finding buried treasure is not a valid answer. (laughs) (laughs) The income from diamonds and gold pieces. (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, that one guy, man, that one guy who found the gleaming treasure box. Literally the coolest move. Yeah, man. Maybe in the whole century so far. That's pretty legit. So, man, okay, we should go hunting for treasure. But first, we should get food because I'm hungry. Mm. Shall we wrap? All right. I think I'm doing the outro, right? Am I redeeming myself (laughs) from Monday? Okay, here we go. I'm going to just do it perfectly. Ready? Thank you for listening to I Heard It On A Podcast. We've got new episodes every Monday and Wednesday that you can find wherever you get podcasts. If you like what you hear today and you think that you know someone else who might like this, send it their way and listen to it with them. Talk about it with them. Enjoy the dreams of treasure hunting with them. Mm. It'll just be great. Mm. Uh, as always, you can reach us at I heard it on a podcast at gmail.com. Well Nailed done. it. I didn't mess up at all. Woo! <laughs> all right. We probably should rewrite that, though. We I mean, probably it's should. It's a little tough. It's it, a little tough. It also probably history. doesn't matter because everyone like clicks away by that time. Right. You know? If you're still listening. Join us in the treasure hunt. We'll cut you in for 4%.